0: Thank you for tuning in to the Freedom of Mayor podcast. I have with me today Dr. Mark Williams. He is a neuroscientist in Australia and he is an author of the book, The Connected Species of How the Evolution of the Human Brain Can Save the World. Please check that out. Thank you for coming on.
1: Oh, thanks, having on- so, guys. All
0: right. So you've devoted your life to the brain. And I'm I'm a huge nerd when it comes to the brain and how it operates. I mean, I've said this a hundred times at least. I think a thousand years from now, we will still not understand how the brain operates because it's just such a unique thing.
1: Yeah, there's there's, there's a quote It's pretty controversial as to who sent the quote. But the quote goes something like, if our brains were simple enough to understand, we'd be too simple to understand it which I really like because it does suggest that it is super complicated and we're never going to work. Yeah. So I'll, I'll always have a job. What I just want to tell all my students, they'll always have a job. They're never going to discover all the, all the truths about the brain.
0: Yeah. That's like with any psychiatrist or counselor, you're be short of clients because we don't understand the brain and a lot of us need a guide.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's extremely complicated. Thing. and I mean, we talk about the, the neurons, so all the, all the little cells in the brain, and there's what, over 100 billion, I think the last count, 100 billion connections in the brain. And so understanding all those connections is, is extremely complicated in itself. And we're not even near and in that. But I was at a recent conference where they're actually looking at the inside of those neurons and showing that it's actually inside those neurons. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. And hundreds of hundreds of things going on in there, which seem to be systematic. well. so, you know, it's, it's even far more complicated than we ever thought. It was it's just going to make it a, yeah, an incredible, yeah, I don't think we'll ever get to the bottom of how it actually works and how we end up with this amazing thing that it allows us to do everything. I mean, that, that's the thing that I find fascinating about the brain is that most people don't think about the fact that you are your brain, right? You're everything you do every day, all your movements all your thoughts, uh, your ability to to wake up, all your emotions, all your feelings, everything you see, everything you hear, everything you touch. It's all because of your brain. It's your brain that does all those, your personality, everything's because of your brain and as a result of your brain. It to me is the most important organ we have and we need to look after it better and we need to be more aware of it, which is why I talk a lot about how uh, keeping your brain healthy rather than health issues because i think everybody needs to keep their brain healthy just like they all need to keep their bodies healthy and i don't think enough people think about that on a daily basis that hey a lot of people go oh i need to go for a walk or i need to go for a run or i need to go to the gym or i need to eat healthy but they don't think about i also need to look after my brain because that's the thing that's actually running all of this
0: yeah my question would be like there's a big push nowadays for mushroom-based, we call them noorthropics, supposedly it's supposed to feed the brain and make it operate better. Do you think there is actually food for the brain or is it just kind of marketing scheme? Yeah, I think it's,
1: I, I haven't ever seen any evidence would make me go. all of this design that I'm going to invest in myself. I mean, our brains are the same as our muscles, right? It's used or it. So you've got to exercise your brain and all the parts of your brain to keep it and so that's what's really important is is keeping it healthy through exercise. That is actually using it in a positive ways. And then feeding it what it needs, which is is, you know, everyone knows what healthy food is. Hopefully. Enough water. You don't want to get dehydrated just as you don't want to dehydrate if you're an athlete. And sleep. So we need to have enough sleep. And then make sure it doesn't get damaged through some sort of major hit. So, you want to yeah. avoid having car crash or you want to avoid, you know, smacking against a brick wall or, yeah, falling off a motorbike or anything like that. So, it's fairly simple, real. And look, the, the best way to exercise our brain as humans, our brain as humans, is actually just to sit down face to face and have a conversation with someone you like, because that actually exercises more of your brain than anything else you can. Now, though, just sitting down with someone you like and and chatting to them on a regular basis, face-to-face, can increase your by by 10 to 15 years. Just sitting down regularly and chatting to someone you like, it decreases the likelihood of you having Alzheimer's disease and other neuro diseases when you get older. And, And again, doing the same thing, just sitting down with someone you like on a regular basis, having a chat, is the best cure for mental health issues we've got it's far better than any drug we have out there, which is why psychologists yes. pay for that. Yeah, getting made to pay for that, right? Because that's so what they do. They sit down, they make a connection with you and they chat with you once a week or whatever it happens to be. And we know that that's how you get over a mental health crisis, by actually just spending time with people we like. And you can avoid a lot of those mental health crises by by organising your, your time each week that you spend Sometimes sitting down and just chatting with someone you like and having a chat, chat, someone you trust, someone you think has these decent things to say, and someone who makes you feel feel wanted and feel good about yourself, is better than anything else we can do. Both both for exercising our brain and keeping it healthy, but also stopping, or at least decreasing the likelihood of us having mental health issues. So, pretty easy, right? It's just like let's have a coffee you know, with a few mates you now again, or let's go for a walk every now and again with you, for one or two friends or yeah, let's meet up at a bowling alley and play, you know, have a few rounds or whatever it happens to be, whatever you enjoy doing, do it with people you like and you're know, be better off in the longer, and then that's... you don't have to spend money on all this stuff.
0: So I'm guessing that's why women outlive yeah. men, right? You said 10 years longer. Yeah,
1: although these, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's about it, right? That's, that's yeah. about the right amount of time. I mean, and we, we have men have you know, a huge crisis going on. You know, the increase in, in mental health issues in men, uh, increase in suicide, and uh, these things in men. Uh, and, and it's getting worse. And it's probably because we're spending more time on devices and we're spending more time by ourselves and less time, you know, chatting to each other. In those days, we would have all worked together. We would have chatted. while we were working together, and we would have done these things. But we don't do that physical stuff, or many of us don't do that physical stuff anymore. Even those people who do do that physical stuff, I'm a good mate who works on a building site, he said, you he talks about the fact that 15 years ago, during the lunch break and during the morning tea and stuff, they all used to chat and chat about always in the news and chat about. And have to go with the apprentices and have a laugh and all the rest of it. He said, now none of them do. It's really quiet on a building site now at Lunchtime because they're all on their phones, looking at their phones. And they don't have that interaction anymore, which is really sad, right? And then we see increasing mental health and governments are putting money into it. And, you know, Yale, there's always talk about it. So it's, like, well, it's a pretty easy fix if we actually thought about it. We just need to reconnect with each other. We actually have dying with each other. Because that's what we've evolved to do. We spent millions of years evolving in a state where we all hung out together, we all worked together, we all protected each other, and now we're all isolated and spending time on these unsocial media platforms where we're not actually spending any time with each other, and we're not giving all the really important neurotransmitters associated with that. And then we're all getting depressed, and we're wondering why we're all killing ourselves. It's, it's a pretty simple mathematics, from anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bit of a
0: rant, wasn't it? Not, not at all. I, <laughs> I I agree with you wholeheartedly because we are social creatures. We're not meant to live in a cave. Even Aristotle said way back in the day, man is a social creature. The man that can live in total isolation is either uh, a wild beast or a god.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. We're neither of those. Like We're human. <laughs> so uh, we have to be around people. And he said that. 2000 plus years ago and it's amazing how as we're supposedly becoming more developed that we're actually regressing back into this very nomadic lifestyle and it's not good for our mental health we're supposed to be around people we're supposed to communicate we're supposed to talk and without that like you said we're High rates of suicide, like you're seeing it with, like social media and children. When your self worth is based on how many likes I get on whatever platform that you subscribe to, that's it's not good. That's not a recipe for uh, success.
1: No, absolutely. And we've also got a big problem because we now know we're actually starting to de-evolve, right? Our intelligence for the first time in history has gone backwards in the last 10 years. Yeah. Our ability to attend to stuff has gone backwards in the last 10 years. It's been going forwards. It's getting better ever since we started recording these things, except for the last 10 years, it's all of a sudden reversing. And I think we need to start thinking about what? why is this going wrong and what can we do to stop this? Especially, yeah, for our kids, because our kids are growing up in an environment that isn't good for their brains, and therefore, right. they're not going to develop in a way which is very positive. And we're already seeing that, right? Things like Alzheimer's disease, these other neurodegenerative diseases, they're much more rapid than they ever used to be, but they're also appearing in people much younger than they used to. So we're getting early onset Alzheimer's and early onset dementia in people, which is really, really scary. As well as in kids, we're getting an increase in ADHD and increase in autism. And that earlier a kid is given a device and the more time a child spends on it on a screen, the more likely they, are they have to be diagnosed with ADHD and autism. So there seems to be a yeah, really causal link between being on screens and being given screens and ending up with these disorders, which you know, are going to affect your life for the rest, rest of both your school years, but then whether or not you get a job after that as well. So I think we really need to start thinking about why we're allowing these tech companies to take over our schools you know, and take over our kids. I mean, when I was a kid, I, worst punish—well, one of the worst punishments, apart from being in, of course, but one of the worst punishments my parents could have done is send me to my room and make me spend you know, the afternoon in my room. Because I talk to parents now and they can't get their kids out of their room. Cause they're on their, their devices in their room and they just, you know, scrolling through TikTok or whatever, which is just nuts. Right. I mean, I used, first thing I do, I would drop my bag after school and take off and spend mm. time with my mates I and mean, there's no way I'd go and sit in my room. Yeah. It was really sad. At least.
0: Yeah. I, I've, uh, often wondered about the developing brain, depending on who you listen to 25 for most, but it might stretch out to 30. Before the brain fully develops, I don't know how true that is, but when you're young and your brain is just starting to develop and you're being stimulated constantly with just nonsense. To me, I'm not a neuroscientist, but to me, that's got to have an impact. Just as if somebody was to take a drug at a young age, it modifies the brain development, and I uh, just kind yeah, of wonder absolutely. about your thoughts on that. Yeah. yeah. No,
1: you're absolutely right. There's some beautiful experiments now showing that kids who, who learn early on, on screens versus on paper, they, they're they airing the. We call them the white matter tracks. If you think about their brain like a, a huge city and the white matter tracks are like the ways that connect the different suburbs together. So these white matter tracks, I think. And, and that's where the information travels between different areas of your brain. Those white matter tracks in kids that are put on devices early, on screens early, are abnormal compared to normal kids who, who learn how to read and all these things on paper. So they're, they're actually, their brain is actually damaged because of the fact that they've been using devices rather than using, you know, doing what we normally would do, which is read on paper and talk to each other and play with each other and hang out and, and do all these things. So, there is, there's now evidence, and the NIH is doing a huge study on, on why it is that they're having to early, being put on devices early, ends up in this abnormal development of these white matter tracts, and, and, and that's the actual physical training is actually abnormal in these individuals. So, so it's, it is affecting that. And and again, like I said, we know that earlier, it's put on a device more like VADD, ADHD, ADHD, or autism. And to have intentional problems later on. And also to have mental health issues through teenage years and so on. So it it is similar to being put on, you know, some sort of drugs or, you know, being given some sort of drug or anything like that It's actually damaging the brain. And that's having long-term consequences for these people.
0: Yeah. and, And I think that since we're in like the infancy of this thing, because 30 years ago, this did not exist. But flashback 15 years, then that's when probably it kind of exploded. And then you had children being born into this. And when I was growing up, we didn't have internet and all that stuff. So now you got these whole new generations being raised on this. And it'll probably be a while before the research gets back. But unfortunately, the damage is done. <laughs> it's sad, but... Yeah, it takes. And attention. if you think
1: about it, it's the first technology that we've had. Yeah, it's the first technology so it's the first big leap in our in our technological advances that we've had, which has gone global so so quickly. Right? We've had things like the combustion engine and cars, but that took fifty, sixty years before majority of people were actually buying cars because they were extremely expensive when we first had them. So it, had, it took about we had about thirty, forty, fifty years. For the governments to go on on. these things are really fast. So we need to have road rules around, you know, speed limits. We need to license people. We need to license cars. All these things came into effect before, you know, the majority of people actually had them. Um, Similarly, you know, like the printing press, to begin with, the printing press was only used for the Bible, for religious texts. And it was, you know, a hundred years, 150 years before it was used more generally. and, And we'd already worked out, oh, we need to have censorship or we need to do these things to make sure younger kids don't, you know, read shouldn't all this stuff around it, you think about you know, many of the other huge advancements that we've had. We've had a slow progression from it being introduced to, to a small number of people and, and tens, if not hundreds of years before it became global and, and everybody was using these things. And so we have ways of, of developing protocols around them to actually make sure that uh, people, vulnerable people and kids and so on were not actually harm by it, but with this technology, it was like bang overnight, right? I mean, the iPhone was released in two thousand. It was within twelve months that every, almost everyone had an, an iPhone or a smartphone or whatever, and then within, within a couple of years of that, every
0: every second
1: teenager had one, and so on. And we haven't had the time to go hang on are the things we actually need to to, to control. But we've also got to realize that the governments aren't doing anything, right? The governments are sitting on their hands when they know that it's actually causing all these issues. So when we had TV, again, a big change, right? TV took a long time before we actually started. Most people had a TV and then it was on a billion-day laundry. At one stage, the the companies realized that they could do subliminal advertising on TV, so they were flashing things up quickly and then taking them off, which would actually change people's behavior. And and we realized that they were doing that and that that was a bad thing because it changed their behavior without them knowing about it. And governments within about three months turned around and said, no, you're not allowed to do that, it's illegal. You're not allowed to do subliminal advertising because it's changing people's behavior without them actually realizing it. Now, the algorithms that they actually use on social media and so on are far worse than subliminal advertising. Yet the governments are doing nothing, nothing about it, right? And I wonder like governments back 50 years ago were willing to actually protect people and today they're not. Like, that's just, mm. I find bizarre that we we know within today is far worse than what they did back then. Back then, governments were willing to turn around and say, no, you don't like to do that because that, that's you know, tricking people into doing things they don't want to do, but they won't do it now, which they could do very easily, but they're not willing to.
0: And this is my own personal opinion is that... It's more profitable now. There's more money involved. You look at these huge corporations and a lot of times, if you're looking at a problem, they just follow the money and you'll find out real quick why it's not being fixed uh, and just kind of follow the money. So that, that's my own personal opinion.
1: Okay. No, I, I'm, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're right. That's just sad that we're not putting kids first.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's no excuse for a lot of things that, that our governments do, whether you're in uh, America or Australia or uh, England. Unfortunately, money talks and BS walks.
1: Absolutely. Or, you know, no, this is a worldwide problem. It's not, it's not a particular, it's, it's that, that's yeah, on their hands. It's, it's all of them and they all need to step up, I think, but hey, that's just my I'm but, just in your I can just see what's happening with the brain.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just out of curiosity, so if you were to give advice to somebody who's maybe has a child that's, I don't know, thinking of a child in my head that's probably like nine and that's very overstimulated with internet content. What's the best way to kind of wean them off of it without getting the yeah? Uh, good. yeah.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I, I actually there's a, a foundation here called Kikoda Foundation, and they do digital detox programs, which I, I help out with. And basically, these are the kids who, who I haven't left their bedroom for, for for years. You know, like they're actually addicted to gaming and so on. And so, with those, it's 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 hard, and you've got to you've got to just do a withdrawal, right? You've just got to take them. And what they do with the Kaketa Foundation is they take them away to the bush for for, for a week and then do a whole bunch of programs with them. But that's the extreme version. So I'm not saying most kids, I like that. But first thing that I always do, and the thing that I do with my kids, I have teenage kids, so, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with it myself. I'm not uh, somebody who's just high and mighty and not actually, is I have the health apps turned on all our devices and then with the health apps turned on all your devices, once a month, once a week, you get an update as to how much time you're spending on all the different things and all the different social media and all the apps that you've got and everything like that. And then I sit down with my kids once a week and we have a look at what we're all doing and how much time we're spending on it. Because you know, I think you agree, education and knowledge is power, right? Mm-hmm. And so actually having that information, because our brains aren't really good at, at monitoring what we're actually doing. Our brains are pretty actually pretty cramped with that, right? So we don't, you know, you ask most people, how much time are you spending on Facebook each week? And they'll underestimate it by a large amount, right? Because they don't actually realize how much time they're they're spending on on the different different, uh, social media. So having that information, it's objective and you can go "Oh, That was pretty stupid to spend that much time on social media that week." So let's do something about it. That's the number one thing for me is, is giving that information. And now my, my daughter, my teenage daughter actually competes with me. She tries to be on social media less than I am because mm-hmm. so I run a business. So I have a business account as well and so on and yeah, those man. things. And so, yes, we, we have a, an ongoing competition to be on those things, the least amount. And she beats me most, most times. Which is really right because teenagers like having competitions and they like beating their parents. So and mm-hmm. uh, it's a good thing to have Yeah, going there. The next thing is not full on notifications. So, the one thing that you can do today, anybody can do today is turn off all the notifications on their phones and on their, on their laptops, because we know it's the notifications that are actually causing the behavior. So we know that somewhere between 40 and 60% of what we do every day is automatic. We don't actually think about it. It's just based on habits and habits occur or addictions occur because you have a cue. And when that cue happens, it actually sets off a behavior or a thought. (laughs) And then you get reinforced for that. Yeah, exactly. That goes on. And so what we need to do is get rid of that cue. And what the cue for most of us is, and most of us is, is that notification, that beep or that thing or that vibration or whatever it happens to be. If you turn all those off and you just choose or your your, your child just chooses when they want to go on it then it's a cognitive process. They're actually going, oh, I'm going to check my Facebook now, rather than automatically checking it when they get the likes. And we know Facebook has actually admitted that they use intermittent reinforcement schedules with the likes and so on. So those likes and stuff, you don't get your like when someone likes something. They hold off of that and actually send it to you based on intermittent reinforcement schedules, which is a way of making sure that you get the most amount of dopamine release when you get that light, so that you get to it quicker, so that that actually reinforces that, that loop. That, that. So that's what you need to do. You know, the people who turn off all their, not- all their notifications on their phone will actually improve their mental health within two weeks. So you can improve many mental health within two weeks just by turning off all your notifications. That's a really easy thing for you to do with your kids. You know, get their phones and go, this is what we're going to do, and turn them all off, and you'll actually improve your mental health and their mental health in a couple of weeks. So that, that, those are two really easy things, I think, to do it. And then once you've got that information and once you stop getting the notifications, the kids won't actually feel a draw to it as much because they don't have that cue anymore, right? And so it would just be a cognitive decision to do that. And then you can talk about, well, how much time I actually want to be spending making money for these entrepreneurs, right? Because what we're actually doing, and when I talk to schools, I talk to teenagers at schools all the time. You now what we're doing is we're working for, Terry, when we're actually on those programs, right? But then the money out of our attention. So, you know, if, if I asked you to work for me for three or four hours a day, for no money, and I'm going to make millions out of it, would you do it? No, of course you wouldn't. But we're all doing that for these tech companies every day, right? Every team, every minute you spend on on one of those things. They're making money out of your attention. You've been on that. So, you know, we need to work out whether or not we want to make money for ourselves or we want to make money for someone else. Do you, you know, I talk to the kids about, it, you know, do you want to spend 10 minutes with your friends or do you want to spend 10 minutes making some student in America who's going to build a rocket that looks like a penis to go out in the space <laughs> or whatever, right? Or do you want to spend more time with your friends so that your brain's better so that you can then? You know, be, be a better person and end up with a really good job when you're school and all of them are like, well, I want to spend time with my friends. So yeah, those are the two things that I do, all of the things, you know, tell them what, what they're actually doing. They're manipulating you to make money and, and we don't need it. And there's nothing social about social media. It's a very unsocial. There's a zero social about advertising. And it's either companies advertising to you or it's people advertising a, a false life, right? A life that doesn't exist. Yeah. So. Either of those things in our lives, unless you're a company and you're actually trying to advertise, but yeah. those are my hints, and they seem the way they work with my kids, so.
0: Yeah. You hit on so many points there. But I think about, there's a young guy that works uh, in the facility that I work in and he has a flip phone and it's a big, sturdy flip Old school phone gaff. and he's He's, he's in his 20s. He's a, a grad student, so he's probably mid-20s. So I, I saw the flip phone, and I had to ask him, what are you doing with the flip phone? He's like, well, he said, well, I figured out that it limits my time on the Internet and social media and stuff because the apps that the flip phone can do is very limited, You know, it's a new flip phone. So I was like, wow, so... He's obviously conscious enough to know that, hey, apparently it was a bit much. So he went old school. And I've actually seen phones that are like minimalist phones. Or as an app, you can turn your phone into a minimalist phone and actually use it for what it's it's designed. So to me, that kind of says that we're noticing that, hey, this is probably (laughs) not just to make money, but this probably could help. People to get away from all that.
1: Yeah. yeah no, those are cool. It's, it's, you know, no brands, but Nokia have bought out their, their old flip phone again. So mm-hmm. they've actually reintroduced those yeah. and they're now selling them as a new phone, which is cool because yeah, as you said, they're not, not very easy to use if you are on social media and stuff. So most people don't use them. So there are a lot of teenagers, not okay. a lot, but there are quite a few teenagers now who are going back to that or parents are buying. Their, their kids, those phones rather than the, the fancy phones, hey, they're yeah. cheap, That's cheaper. So <laughs> that's a bonus, right? Plus, yeah, they're not going to spend as much time on their social media. Yeah. And stuff, so, what, why it needs a thousand dollar phone or whatever? I know it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll spend up to $200 on a phone. That's my limit. I cannot go above that. But yeah, it, it, it's amazing how we've, Evolved and devolved at the exact same time. Like, we're in the infancy of this situation, and I think that with people researching, studying the brain, that in the future we can realize that, hey, we're doing more harm than good. But, as I'm sure you know, just because the research is out there doesn't mean it's going to get to the public. Is that an area that you find frustrating? Yeah, I do. I, I mean,
1: I've been talking about this for years and it's, it's just, I've been working hard here in Australia and we've, we're lucky enough now that all, every stru- state has now banned smartphones from schools. So kids, both in high school and primary school, aren't allowed to have a smartphone while they're at school. They have to be locked in their lockers. And so, I mean, that's a huge positive that's happened. New Zealand has just announced the same thing, so they're actually, and the men, Sweden has just Discovered. I mean, Sweden used to be, you know, one of the number one countries in the world for education and they've slipped well, down since. And so they've now just announced they're going to take all the devices out of schools because they know the devices are actually causing negative impact on their educational outcomes. So, you know, there's movement happening. China,
0: you know, China
1: can do it because it's in this country, but China <laughs> have just made shoot blanket rules around since they so it's like fines if you give a child a, a smartphone before, before they become a teenager. Your parent gets huge fine if they give them a smartphone. Teenagers are only allowed on devices for like one or two hours a day. And again, the parent gets a huge fine if, if the kid is on a the, on the device for more than that. And all these things, because we've seen increase in mental health issues and they've seen increase, you know, decrease in, in education outcomes and all these things and because in China, the the government pays for all of that. they've just gone, we don't want to have to pay for this, so they're probably going to put uh, real real hard restrictions on it at all for teenagers and for, for kids. so you know there's, there's lots of changes in different countries, and, and I think more of that's going to happen over the next ten years, and there'll be more discussions around it. so hopefully, hopefully you know hopefully, hopefully we all catch on and go, hang on, let's do this the right thing by our kids and by ourselves, right? I mean, we need to. You know, look after us
0: as well. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It takes a village. Uh, it does. Written, it does. So kind of shifting gears, my associate that I, I do these classes with and the, the podcast, even though he hasn't been on in a while, um, he's on vacation right now. He was really excited that you were going to be on. So this is his question. From him. Yes. He said, I would love to know his thoughts on why people seem less emotionally mature and ill-equipped to handle adversity.
1: That's another, another a big one, a really big one. That's a great question. And so our brains are plastic. And so our brains are constantly changing based on our experiences, right? And that changes constantly throughout our lives. And we, we used to think that you had these critical periods during your childhood, and then, if you got, if you didn't do things or you didn't achieve certain things, developmental stages, then you couldn't do them later on. But, you know, once you got past those stages, you couldn't change those things. We now know that's all nonsense. And, and you can actually develop any ability you like at any stage. But that also means you can lose any ability you like at any stage. And I think because our ability to communicate, our ability to empathize and our ability to understand someone else's emotions and understand our emotions all takes constant practice and we're not doing that anymore or as much anymore. We're losing that ability. So we're losing the ability to empathize with other people and we're losing the ability to maintain and control our own emotions and we're losing those those other abilities. And we know that kids whose who's carers use, again, sorry, to, to rant on about the smartphones, but kids whose carers wear, use smartphones regularly understand facial expressions less than those that don't. And that's simply because we, we learn different facial expressions and, and our emotions because of how other people respond. So you think about a child in, who's, who's playing a, at a park, and normally what would happen is that the child would do something good and, and, and they'd look up to their parent and their parent would smile at them and they'd realise that they'd done something good and that that smile means they've done something good or they'll fall over and hurt themselves and they'll look up to the parent or the carer and the carer will look sad at them because they've just fallen over and the child will then understand that facial expression, that sad facial expression goes with what just happened, which is I just hurt myself. We now know that a lot of kids actually have what we call still face effect where they're toddlers or even older and they don't know how to use their faces. So their faces are still, they don't actually use facial expressions. Cause they've never learned the link between this actually happens. And this is how I respond to it. And that's actually becoming really prevalent, especially in the U S where most of this research has happened. And, and that's how we understand and how we learn and how we continue to learn what all those different facial expressions mean. But if you don't see it, you don't get that information. We know that year had kids who were taken on camp just for a week, so take them on camp for a week and then look at their facial expression, perception, ability. It is significantly improved after just a week on camp without devices. So just putting them on camp, but these are normal kids in the US or here in Australia who are taken on camp just for a week and up to just a week, you're getting a significant increase ability to recognize facial expressions and be empathic with people, understand how they're feeling and understand how you're feeling, and that's just a week away from the device. So there's a significant abnormality in our ability, and kids' and teens' ability to recognize the empathy in our society, um, which is a real issue we've got. And then we've also got you know the, the fact that adults now aren't spending as much time with each other, so we're not, again, having that. We know people who spend a lot of time with people they trust are much more resilient, much less likely to have mental health issues. So we're not spending time with each other, so we don't have that, you know. People today have far fewer friends than we did in the past. People feel much lonelier. Loneliness has gone through the roof in the last 10 years or so. And again, if we're not spending time with people, we're not learning how to control our emotions and we're not learning how to be empathic and we're not learning how to actually read someone else's facial expressions or display those facial expressions ourselves. And if we're not displaying those facial expressions, then other people don't understand that we actually have a crisis going on or that we're not feeling very good or that we're not. So we've got a double sort, double-edged sword, right? Both us, individuals, aren't displaying the emotions as much because we've never learnt them or we haven't been practising them lately. And then people aren't actually perceiving these facial expressions um, because they're not actually interacting with people as well. So, yeah, there's two, two sides to it, but both of them are causing all these issues that we're seeing around emotional regulation um empathy and um resilience and so on
0: yeah we talk about emotion regulation so let's say i don't know 15 and i've grown up with youtube facebook all the twitter and all that good stuff do you think that i'm more apt to not be able to control my emotions yeah, you know, well,
1: I yeah. And the reason, there's multiple reasons for it. One is when you're on a, a device, you're not getting the same feedback, right? Because when we're face to face and talking to someone and you say something to me, and then I say something sarcastic back to you and you don't like that, then you, your face drops, right? And so I then go, oh, sorry. I didn't realize, you know, I was only being sarcastic or I was being silly or whatever. When you're on a device, you just send off a tweet or you send off a comment or whatever. You don 't actually see the well, how that person responds to that, right, yeah. and so you have no idea how, and so kids who are on these devices and are on YouTube and are on all these things and just commenting on things or just sending tweets or putting their own whatever on 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 whatever they're not getting any feedback as to how people are reacting to that at the moment at, when it actually happens that's how we've evolved that's how we've evolved for millions of managers is actually get feedback straight away so that we'd understand and so we could react to yeah. it and we could actually have yeah, a relationship with someone, but they don't get any of that feedback when they're online, And so they don't actually understand how any of that works. And they're not learning how to actually communicate, how to be empathic, how to actually control their own emotions as well. Right. Cause you can sit there on a device and, and get really angry and storm around and everything else. And there's <laughs> no one there to actually react to it. Right. What would normally happen in a real world is you know, your teenager would get upset and there'd be another teenager there or an adult there or whoever. And they go, Hey, what's wrong? Let's talk about it. Let's it. But what's happening now is they're in their bedrooms and they're throwing the phone down on the bed and think things or whatever, and they're not actually having that monitoring, which means that they believe that that's the normal way to respond because that's what they're always doing is, is, is reacting just to the situation rather than as we talked about earlier, actually thinking about what's going on or talking to someone about what's going on so that you can then decide on the right way of actually, yeah, responding to that situation and responding to your own emotional state and responding but but they're not having that opportunity because there's no one there to actually bounce those ideas off and actually work out. And and as, you know, you probably had the same thing when I was a kid, you know, there was lots of disagreements when we were playing or or we're playing footy or someone mm-hmm. would take their footy home and everyone to get pissed off with them or, you know, someone <laughs> would stick a bike or whatever happened, right? Or someone didn't turn up when they were supposed to turn up and you had all that, but it was face to face. And so you learnt how to actually control those emotions. And occasionally you would have a fight. Occasionally, yeah, the shit would hit the fan or whatever mm-hmm. would happen, but you'd learn how to, how to actually deal with all those situations. Kids don't get the opportunity to do any of those things anymore, right? And so they're not learning. All of those really important skills of, yeah, if I'm mean to the, a person, they'll walk off and they'll take their football with them. them. And then I'm left without, unfortunately, mm. without you know, that friend mm. until I actually apologise to them or whatever. Whereas now they're just sending off dirty tweets or whatever, or mean tweets or mean, yeah, comments or whatever, and, and not even thinking about it and, and not actually realizing that that hurts other people and that actually needs to stop. Because it's not the way we as humans actually interact with each other.
0: Oh, you're one hundred percent right. It's sad, and I think that's an area that we really, really struggle on is just basic human communication with each other. It's so foreign to people, like you said, that face to face. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I think I, you know I talk to a lot of well schools and and kids and students, but I also talk with with leaders you know uh, and and I often talk with people who want to be leaders about the fact that if you're busy when you go into a conversation with someone then you're not again you're not having a conversation and the fact that we we need to stop and be present with that individual when we actually sit down with them or when we're on the phone with them but but to realize that to stop in between any conversation so when you're when somebody's talking to you, when they finish talking, you shouldn't speak straight away. You should stop for a second, give a little gap because that tells the person that you've actually generally listened to them and then respond to what they've actually said first before you tell them what you want them to tell them. Because too much now is, is those sort of conversations where both two people are just telling the other person what they've come there to tell them and not actually listening To what the other person is trying to converse with them about, which, which yeah, is really sad. And I I see a lot of those conversations where there's two people sitting there, but neither, they're not really conversing, right? They're just both telling each other what they want to tell each other and neither of them is listening. So they're wasting their time.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you can't communicate with your significant other, if you can't communicate with somebody that did something that you don't like, then things escalate. And I think it really comes down to just simple stuff like that. Just the being able to teach our younger people just basic skills like communication. Yeah,
1: absolutely, I agree completely. I think communication is so important for us as a species, and something that we we all need to spend more time learning and practicing. <laughs> and we'd all be a lot better off, right? Because there'd be a lot less confusion and a lot of misunderstandings, and therefore a lot more, you know, a connection and a lot more collaboration, uh, which is what we we want, right? That's what we really need, is to actually get together and work together towards making this world a better place rather than be constantly fighting and arguing and disagreeing, and, which is what happens now. I think a lot of politicians teach a lot of politicians how to communicate,
0: that they <laughs> <how to laughs> actually
1: agree with each other.
0: Well, that that'll never happen. So
1: yeah. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens when we're with people that doesn't happen when we're, you know, we're on line now and we're looking at each other, but there's a whole bunch of neurotransmitters that are released when we're face-to-face or when we're in the same room as each other that aren't released when we're like this. So we're the first thing, of course, we always do, or usually, we or used to do not so much now, but we used to do was we touch each other when we met, right? And all societies have a different way of mm-hmm. touching each other. So in Stoic societies like here and in the US, we'll shake hands with each other. In Europe, they'll kiss each other on the cheek. Even the Inuits will rub their noses because it's only part of yes. their, their skin that's actually showing, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason we do that is we have C fibres on our skin that all mammals have. And the C fibres are only activated by touch and they release oxytocin in our brain and oxytocin makes us more open. To actually connecting with the other person and makes us more willing to, to um, be open with the other person so we get that when we're actually face to face and that's why we shake hands and that's why you know politicians like to actually get out and press the skin and kiss babies and all that, because they know that person's more likely to vote for them if they've already touched them and we know they're more likely to vote for a person if they've actually your, shake your hand versus not shake your hand. And people are more likely to give you money if you shake their hand or touch their shoulder versus not doing that. So it's really, really important because it releases oxytocin. It's an important part of us as humans because we've evolved those C fibers just for that touch. And you don't get that when you're online. And you've also got the body language. And we have a motor mirror and neuron system in our brain, and that area of our brain is just there for us to actually mirror what someone else is doing. So. When we're online, at least we only see from the shoulders up. But when we're face to face, we actually see the whole body. And so in our mirror neuron system, if they if slump forward, then that area of our brain, which would make us slump forward, activates. And then the, the neurotransmitters associated with that activate, which tells me, oh, that person's not feeling very happy right now. And so I understand that person's not very feeling very happy because I don't feel very happy at that point in time as well. So I can then react to that in some way. Or they, you know, are really happy at, at a concert or whatever, right? Everyone's really happy. So all your, your middle neuron system is activating because all those other people are really happy. Their body language is telling you that. So they're all having fun. You're also having fun, which means that emotions, how everyone's feeling is actually contagious and everyone actually starts feeling the same way. And you get serotonin released as a result of that. And serotonin is really important for us to feel happy. And to feel connected and feel involved in the whole situation. So, but when we're online like this, all we get is really dopamine, and dopamine is this really short release neurotransmitter that we all know about. Which isn't great, and it's released when we when we're gambling, it's released when we're taking drugs, it's released when we're eating and fading, food. You know. so it's not it's not a great thing to, to just have that because it's an abnormal amount of neurotransmitters being released when we do this, which is why most of us feel pretty crap afterwards. Whereas when we're face-to-face or when we're at a concert or when we're doing things socially like that, real face-to-face stuff, we get all these other neurotransmitters as well, which make us feel really connected, make us feel really happy and joyful and, and connected to everyone around us and so on. So that's why it's so important to do stuff like that as a species, as humans, because of all those important released that make us feel good.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, you said lots of way over my head, but. I I attended a conference several years ago, Alcohol and Drug Conference, and one of the keynote speakers was a pharmacologist. He teaches people how to become a pharmacist, a very intelligent guy, and he really broke down to the minute, this is the chemical that flows through your brain and, and it connects you to he called it the mom chemical. He's like, this is the chemical that goes through your brain that connects a child to the mom. He's like, it's the exact same thing when it comes to drugs. If you have that, then you disassociate from people because you're having that connection. And I try to explain to people that I work with, I'm like, everybody's chemistry is different. What's going on in our brains? Some people need medication, some people don't. But when you start throwing in drugs and all this other stuff, you kind of mess all that stuff up. So coming from your background, what's the biggest thing that we need to kind of look out for when it comes to addiction, anger? What's that we need to kind of look out for?
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends on, on the... Individual, we, we know that different drugs, some people can take once and become addicted to them, whereas you know other people can take them socially and not get you know so called addicted to them. And so it really does depend on again the individual. We're also different to each other. But I think what you need to know about drugs, no matter what drugs you're talking about, whether or not you know it's an illicit drug or it's or it's over the counter drug or it's you know, alcohol or it's you know, any of these things, is you're really how they work is you're flushing your brain, your, your, it's sort of like a tsunami. You know, when you see a tsunami go through a city or something, it's like you are giving a huge amount of that drug to your brain. Now, all, all those drugs are actually work cause receptors in the brain. there's, There's, there's neurons in the brain that would normally use those drugs to actually do whatever they do, but what you're doing, rather than having that tiny minute amount of that drug in your brain. You're like a tsunami and you just flush the whole brain full of that drug, which means, you know, you, you, a, you're probably damaging a lot of those neurons, but also you're overwiring it. We know there's this thing called heavy learning. And basically it's the idea that cells that fire together wire together. And so if you think about it, like, so, you know, some, some people, certain smells will then activate memories that have happened before. And that's because the memories and that smell were both happening at the same time. And so those, those neurons wired up together. So then when they get that smell in a different situation, it then activates those memories. Yeah. And so that's how our memories are formed. And that's how most of our behavior happens is that we, we do something a lot and so those neurons Firing together a lot, so they get really strongly wired up together. So therefore, you're more likely to do that than you are something else because it's it's the cells, the neurons that fire the quickest or the strongest to the ones that actually result in whatever behaviour it is that we want to do. When you you introduce drugs to that situation, that is like I said, like a tsunami of things. They so get a huge amount of activity in those neurons, and so therefore. Those are the ones that are more likely to activate next time, right? And so the cues and therefore the desire to do those things are overwhelmed by that huge amount of information, which is why those neurons want that thing. And so to get over any of those addictions, you've got to somehow either get rid of those cues that are causing that behavior or, or you've got to rewire it and not doing it and doing something else regularly or doing something else positive on a regular basis. So it'll become stronger rather than the bad thing. But yeah, we really, you know, when you take a drug, whatever drug it happens to be, it really is, it's just like you're flushing the whole brain with that chemical, which is causing huge amount of activity in the brain, which why, you know, even, even alcohol, tiny little bit of alcohol's fine, but you know, you start. Sculling a whole bunch of, of shots then <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, you had trouble walking and you're falling over and you do doing stuff that you wouldn't normally do and so on, right? Again, cause you're, you're flushing your brain full of these chemicals. So your brain normally has in it, but there is something you used to have at that level, or that amount, that amount.
0: But yeah, it's, it's crazy how our brain is, I guess, open platform. Just like, Hey, bring it on. Let's see what we can digest but when you're introducing drugs and stuff, it's overwhelmed and we go back to the basic fight, flight or freeze, primitive part of the brain. Yeah. And,
1: and I mean, that's why we, we see teenagers do crazy things too, right? Because their prefrontal cortex doesn't, it doesn't fully develop until you're 25 plus or minus two years. And then there's whole deviations around that as well. We're not really sure exactly, but yeah, you know, teenagers, they don't have a fully functioning prefrontal cortex. So, you know, often it, they're still trying to work out how to use it. And when they stop using it, crazy things like, yeah, with a, a car or whatever, you know, under <laughs> crazy circumstances. And then you add alcohol to that and then you've got you know, crazy situations going on. So yeah, we have a, our consciousness or our working memory, our prefrontal cortex, whatever you want to call it. Is really limited, and and it's what controls our behaviour. And then we have a whole bunch of unconscious stuff that are working the 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 long term memory stuff that that we don't have, and this working memory or the prefrontal cortex. And so if if you shut that down,
0: then then you know who
1: knows what's going to happen or where it's going to end up.
0: It's a nice sunny day in Australia. But one last question. You can elaborate as much as you want. But what I was always taught in, in the field of alcohol and drug counseling and all that good stuff is that typically somebody that starts using drugs heavily at a young age, they get kind of stunted at that age. And from my personal experience working with these individuals, and they can be grown men, 40 years old, but act like they're 15, and then when I ask them, hey, when did you start using, they say 15, it kind of connects. The brain's constantly evolving, but do people actually get stuck at an age when they're damaging their brain?
1: So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting There's not a lot of research on But the way I like to think about it is, is again, because our brains are constantly adapting and constantly, we're constantly filling it up with information, which we add to our long-term memory, which, which makes us more and more developed, if you like, as we hopefully grow or grow older, we got more information that we could use. and, And, and the more information we have, the more options we've got. And therefore, the more decisions, you know, appropriate decisions we can make and so on. But if you've got someone who started taking drugs at a young age and they're addicted to it, then they're no longer really developing, right? Because they're not doing anything else but that drug. And so they don't get the opportunity to continue to develop, but rather they stay where they are because they're not learning anything new. They're not, their, their obsession is, is a drug and that's really all they're doing and so their brain won't evolve and in actual fact it probably goes backwards in a lot of ways because of the fact that that's all they're really doing and they're damaging it based on the drugs that they're actually using. So that's the way I like to look at it from a neuroplasticity point of view that you know our brains are constantly changing but if you're taking drugs then your brain is going to be stuck in that moment from from where your brain is at that moment and you're not going to Continue adding to it um, because you're not going to be doing anything positive to add to it, yeah? It's the way I sort of would.
0: I said that was my final question, but I got one more. I see guitar in the background. So you play guitar? Yes. You do? I do, very badly.
1: I do, but very badly.
0: So how long have you been playing?
1: So I played when I was a teenager for a number of years, and then I didn't for a long time, and then I took it back up. Probably about 10 years ago, I suppose. Yeah, on and off, in between. It's always been one of those things that I've had in the background, but I've never been good at it. I just, yeah, I have it for when, when I've got downtime, and I, I want to, yeah, do something else. Yeah, which is good. My wife is amazing. She she plays multiple instruments, and, and is amazing at and my, my My teenage daughter also has real musical talent, but I've never had musical talent. I just... Yeah, I like to it out of the way I do the Yeah. Yeah, music is amazing, amazing thing. And we you don't really understand a, a lot about it. I have, a, I have a colleague who works with music and he's done quite a bit of work with people with dementia and uh, Parkinson's disease and stuff. And the, the, he, he's shown like, it's the, you know, someone with Parkinson's can't, can't stand up and walk. But then if you put on that they used to dance to when they were younger, they can stand up and dance really, really normally to the music, even though they can't you know, walk through a door or get up and stand up and walk around. And, and, and similarly with dementia patients, if you put on music from their past, all of a sudden all these memories will come back and they'll start talking about their past and all these things. And it's amazing. We don't really understand it. There's lots of questions around it. But yeah, there's something very primitive about music that it brings us all together. We should, we should all do more of it. All right. Either go and listen to it or, or play it or,
0: or whatever you want to do. So you know, like I said, the brain will never, <laughs> will never understand it as far as I live, but me. people will be definitely uh, educated <laughs> so, on the brain from what you said. And, and I hope that they go away uh, learning something. Turn off the, those
1: notifications. Yeah. You nothing else. Just turn off those notifications. So we <laughs> had to stick that in. so we can do nothing else get that, then I'll be happy man, happy man.
0: If you have a, a book with a long title you want to plug, go ahead and plug it now.
1: Okay, so it's The the Connected Species. So if you just search The Connected Species, you'll be able to find it online at any good Bookship Talk, but it's The Connected Species, How the Evolution of the Human Brain Can Save the World. The, the long title was The Publishers, Not Me, so sorry about that, but it's also a big call, but The Connected Species was my idea, yeah, so... Just search that on any bookstore you can get a hold of.
0: All righty, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for being on and look forward to chatting with you in the future.
1: Thank you very much, James. Anytime. Be great.
0: All right. That was our interview with Dr. Mark Williams. Hopefully you enjoyed that and learned a lot about the brain. And if you have any guest ideas or if you know somebody that would like to be on, please reach out. The easiest way to get a hold of me is through my website, freedomanger.com. Also, keep track of us on Instagram, and I'm working on a YouTube page, and both of those handles are freedom from anger, LLC. On Twitter, or X, whatever it's called now, it's anger underscore LLC. Hopefully, and I can get these podcasts out a little bit quicker and as always until next time stay safe